everyone. Welcome back to the Mike Rosart Show, live every Wednesday around 7 p.m. on the YouTube channel. Just gonna give everyone a second to get the notification because we just went live. It's uh, 7.08, so I'm running a few minutes late. I just actually got in the door. I was over at a property, um, checking on a few things, actually bumping around a bunch of properties today. Got my garage cleaned out, got my rental uh, garages cleaned out, so that was great to you know actually have some some progress on some areas in, that I've just been slacking on. So anyway, um, wanted to take today to just say, feeling super blessed about all that I've been able to accomplish the last little bit and you know where I'm at and all that kind of stuff. I don't wanna come on this stream and be like, hey, life, my life sucks because I'm super blessed and like I have an amazing family and I've built a ton of wealth and I'm sure a lot of people would love to be me. Um, but at the same time, feeling super stressed. There's been so many problems at all of every property, every business, everything I'm invested in, there's just a ton of stress, especially with COVID, increases the pressure and the intensity, right? And um, you can imagine that on average, you know, they say the rule of thumb is a property takes one hour a week to manage. But what really happens is nothing happens for like six weeks, and then you have an eight hour stressful event that happens at a property that consumes most of your day. And what unfortunately happens is it go days where nothing will happen and then five properties will pop up with issues all at once and you'll have a 18 hour day filled with stress, tenant conflict, problems. In one example, we had a family of raccoons rip the siding off a house and go into the attic. They're in the house now. We've had like a ton of other just issues that pop up with tenants and things like that. And that stuff, even if you have a manager, which I do, you still end up getting, it gets escalated to you, right? And so you, you feel that. And so anyway, we listened to a song on the way home and um, by Surfaces, I think it's called Sunday Best. And uh, I just wanted to put this on because this was, uh, you guys hear that? Never stressed. It's like the relaxing song I go to. And I thought, feeling blessed, never stressed. But you know what? Feeling blessed and always stressed. And I wanted to kind of tap on that today before we got into the live Q&A about, and today's title is going to be like a weird one. I just kind of put it out there because I was listening to this song, right? And um, just thinking about that wealth mindset, right? And what gets you to that point of, um, I don't know, like what makes someone wealthy, right? What, what gets them there? What are some common traits? And I think one of them is embracing uh, hard work with a level of detail. And to get to that level of detail, I think you need to be a level of stressed, um, if you're not stressed about your properties, if you're not stressed about the problems, you're not going to care, right? And so inherent in the stress is the want to be better, right? Like I want my properties to be perfect and so I'm stressed that they're not, right? I want them to cash flow a certain level and if they don't, then that brings stress, right? And so the stress is not is actually a, a signal that you're you know, going through the right motions, I think, in a lot of ways. And so sometimes being stressed is okay and there's ways to cope with it and, and that's the important piece, right? But uh, it's really, I think, an important piece to recognize that most wealthy people have gone through very stressful periods of time. They have had to work very, very hard. No one gets to high levels of wealth without going through all of that stress and all of that energy input. You have to invest in yourself and, and sometimes that, it, often, that involves sacrifice. And so part of today was about sacrificing. Um, people don't sacrifice enough today. It's, it needs to be brought back in the curriculum. Here in Ontario, they're bringing that sort of stuff back into the curriculum, which is great. We need to see that. There, if you go without a marshmallow today, you will get multiple marshmallows later, right? And so that, to me, is a big one that makes me feel like, um, hey, everyone. Hey, South, how you doing? Trevor, thank you. Appreciate that. Future Wiz, good to see you on. Key, good to see you on as well. This is going to be like probably a, a lesser, um, I guess, watched or listened to stream. And, and by the way, I want to throw this out there now that we're four minutes in and people have had a chance to kind of jump in because I know the notification takes some time to go out. But um, I do have, I'm going to be putting, we've already put, I think, 10 on Apple and Spotify. Um, so it's becoming a podcast. You are watching a podcast and I, we need to get like a proper Yeti mic or something. But right now, just literally an iPhone 8. Um, and yeah, we're going to be downloading the audio and we're putting it up for people to listen to offline. So check that out. It's going to be called the Mike Rosart show or some variation of that. And we're just taking literally the, the entire Q and a, the entire, uh, 
everything, every from, from minute second one. We're just gonna upload the whole thing onto uh, onto uh, I guess Spotify and, and Apple. And we had a uh, Liam reached out. He was someone who uh, was just following me on Instagram, listening to this, and said, "Hey, I'll volunteer and just just help you out, just to you know be part of you know." hopefully I can give back some value right so we're making sort of a barter trade there hopefully I can provide him some value at some point but uh, yeah getting it out there and, and I have no idea how to do that properly I don't think he does either we're both experimenting our first time ever putting like, a podcast out there I'm not putting a lot of time into this at all but I'm just saying for those people who message me and say hey I'd love to listen to this offline love to listen to this when I'm going for a run you know just hear you rant and hear you you know go on and listen to, to Q&A that's going to become available and it is not monetized there's nothing behind it at all as of yet it's just like hey you're gonna download these and put them out there so that another there's another form of i guess content absorption so this one you don't need internet you don't have to blow your data watching uh you know on youtube and you can listen to it so that's an option that should be available i don't know if every stream is going to be available maybe just be a select few maybe it'll just be the popular ones haven't decided yet we've got geez like oh we got to be over over 100 episodes of this now right so there's like hundreds of hours of live content that would take a while to get all up there. And some of it isn't even that good. So, I mean, some of it's just me literally ranting about, you know, nothing. It's a year old. So um, maybe we'll throw it all up eventually. We'll see. But uh, yeah, I just thought I would share that with the audience tonight. And I know today's title is a little weird. Probably won't get very many clicks because it's not personal finance in the title. And it's not like real estate in the title, which gets people to click. It's just like me talking about mindset around, um, I guess, building wealth. And when I used to drop YouTube videos every Saturday, the least viewed videos were ones that I didn't put real estate or personal finance in the title. So I'm sure that like mindset is not gonna get a ton of views, but the regulars will see this and they'll watch it. And a bunch of the other regulars, like the normal thousand people that view it after I do the live stream, all you folks who are watching, smash the like button. Let me know that you're watching it and that you're enjoying the content. It lets YouTube know that the content is valuable and lets my wider subscriber base get a notification because we don't get a certain number of likes. It literally, I have an account that's subscribed that's not got the notification bell on and I'll get pumped only if it gets a certain number of likes. So a lot of my audience will never see this stuff. A lot of my subscribers will never even see this because it doesn't get enough likes. And so the like button is really, really important. And the comment feature, super important. Once this is published, if you jump on and uh, just like leave a comment and say, hey, like, you know, great stream or, you know, love this point, love that point, whatever, that helps, it'll helps, especially after the live stream's done, if there's some more engagement on the video in some form, whether it's a like or a comment, that helps. So um, a blue like button is a happy like button, exactly, so just go ahead and, and tap that one if you're watching the replay, or if you're watching live right now, hit it. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions, now's the time, shoot them in the bottom, happy to answer anything related to personal finance or a real estate or, or I can just keep going and we can we can shoot the shit. I can tell you what's been up in my week and uh, and yeah, you can share it's been up with yours and listen in and let's, let's do our weekly touch base. So yeah, props, 100% props. I don't know if it wants me to call him out, so I probably shouldn't call him out any more than that, but if he wants, I can call him out. Should I invest in airline stocks now? Um, that depends and I don't know. It depends on when you look, and every airline stock's a little different, so you can't just generalize airline stocks in general, but I think that we might not be totally out of the water yet, and the market isn't quite pricing in all of, I think, the second wave fears, and to be honest, the market and markets in general seem to be a bit or a tad overpriced given the current economic data that we have. And so I'm a little bit nervous about just the economy in general right now, and just all the overvaluation in general. So be careful, be cautious guys. The key piece to remember here though, is if you're diversifying and you're buying like an ETF that's invested in all the stocks on the S&P 500 or the TSX, five years from now, it'd be a lot higher than it was today. And so I know that's not any comfort really for trying to pick like a short-term play right now. Um, I actually have a few short-term plays that I'm keeping um, under the chest and I'll kind of update you guys with, with what goes on there. but. Um, for, for me, the only way to really, you know, the only way to really arbitrage or to the idea of arbitrage is that you know something that someone else doesn't know, right? And that's like insider information. The only way to really do that well is when you're in control, right? So 
in a private market, like where you're buying private businesses where you can take control and you know something the market doesn't know, like private businesses are a great example of that. Um, real estate is another great example where you can arbitrage, you can wedge, because you can get information that other people don't have. In the public stock market, it's hard to have information that, you know, I don't know, it's hard to have information that others don't have. And it's hard to have an edge when you're not even in control. Like management could be embezzling money, you're relying on them to perform and execute according to the plan, even if the plan is great, even if the forecasts are fantastic, even if the economic climate is great, the employees and the management need to be great too. And so there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of variables at play that you're not in control of with the stock market, right? And even good companies have, you know, tanked sometimes because of other extraneous factors. And so that's something to remember. Um, I'm a value investor through and through, so I like to find, and I truly believe in everything I invest in, I believe in cash flow first. And so I like businesses that are stable, consistent, and generate a lot of cash flow. So I wasn't on the bandwagon with like tech startups and you know, like there's been a lot of people who made a lot of money doing that, but I don't like to invest in businesses that might make money later because I don't know what's gonna happen in the future. Maybe everyone jumps off Facebook and hates it and a new platform comes out and it's the next MySpace, I don't know. But what I know is cash flow right now and I like to bet on cash flow right now. So that's why I, I typically invest in real estate and in, in businesses that are stable and have, you know, they can have an upside for appreciation. And I, I like that sweetener. I just don't want to pay for it. Uh, I like to pay for what is currently here now. And I like to buy businesses that are stable or growing. So that's just me. Um, and I see the airline industry being extremely capital intensive to circle back to that question of, of my investor philosophy and then what I invest in airlines. Um, one, there's a ton of uncertainty. So anything we're doing right now, you need to be very cautious, right? I wouldn't put it all on red right now or all on black. I would say, you know, be cautious in what you're doing. But, you know, looking back to the, to the, you know, investor philosophy and how like an airline company might fit in, they have a lot of capital right now, right? It's a capital intensive business and their burn rate is very high. Uh, they burn through a lot of cash, so to speak. And so right now they're losing a ton of money. And the question is, when will we go back to break even? Because right now the airlines are losing a lot of money. They're bleeding cash. And the question is who has deep enough pockets to burn the longest and survive? Because some will wonder, right? And so I guess if you're gonna invest in airlines and that was your, your choice, you'd wanna make sure that it was an airline that had good credit facilities to carry the cash burn for a considerable period of time, right? These aircraft cost a lot to maintain. There's a huge cash burn of all the staff and everything and they're not making that back. Plus they're depreciating at a huge uh, rate. So the depreciation as the planes become less and less valuable, like a house, a house depreciates too. Um, that's why I don't buy, people ask me why I don't buy trailers, why I don't buy uh, stuff where there's no land associated. You buy like uh, uh, land leases. People will have structures where you pay like 200 grand for a house that's on leased land. Like the native people might own it and they're, you're paying them a rental fee. There's a lot of that in my area. I stay away from that stuff because you don't own the land. Land appreciates in value, buildings depreciate in value. So you buy a building, it's like buying a car, buying a plane, all that stuff decreases in value. You don't want that. You want to own a property on land that's you can't get more of, right? That appreciates in value at a faster rate than the building's depreciating, but all buildings are depreciating always. And if you don't maintain the property, you don't put money into maintenance, then it depreciates and it can depreciate really fast. If you had like a roof that was leaking, imagine, you didn't maintain your roof and it was leaking, your property could depreciate faster than it's actually, than the land below the, like the soil, the dirt that you own is appreciating. And so you can actually have a net neutral or even a loss potentially, right? So that's something to be careful of just in general when you're investing. And so I feel like the airline industry right now has another really rocky 18 months ahead. And I'm not 100% sure that all of them are gonna survive and gonna have the cash burn to sustain themselves, right? Through that time. So I don't know what's in the future. I don't know how fast things come back. I, I don't know. But I do know that they're burning cash and it's not, a business I'd want to get into right now, unless they were trading at such a discount that I could buy the stock at less than, considerably less than depreciated book value, right? Um, so you could say, hey, the planes are worth a billion and depreciation is 300 million and all the net assets, whatever, are worth 700 million. If the stock's trading at a market cap of like 350 million or something, right? Where it's like half the book value. Well then like tomorrow they could just sell the planes and bankrupt the company and we'd be in a, a positive position. That happens. Stocks trade below book value sometimes, right? And sometimes management's so dumb. I bought a company once that had a ton. Their book value, they're trading at like 
one third of book value and the management kept the employees on and burned the company's assets to the ground. And I lost a ton of money because I thought, well, geez, this company could go bankrupt tomorrow and it, that would be the best case scenario. But it didn't go bankrupt. They started selling assets and they burned, <laughs> they burned, they just went bankrupt and fired everyone. All the shareholders would have made a ton of money. And I was like, how can I go wrong buying a company like this? And uh, I learned a valuable lesson was that sometimes management gets in the way of that. They had egos that they thought they could turn this company around. They had you know, family and friends that worked at the company and they wanted to keep employing them to the detriment of the shareholders. They literally bankrupted the company keeping the staff on, right? So I don't know, would the airline industry be the same way? I think that long-term, the airline industry is gonna be just fine. People need to travel, but short-term there's gonna be some pain. And so I could see one or two airlines you know, amalgamating or becoming, you know, the biggest fish might survive through this who have the deepest pockets and, and long-term it'll be all right. But short-term it's, it's painful. Um, but yeah, that's my, my rant on the airline industry. And, and I'm not by any means an expert or an analyst that even covers the industry. So who am I to, to take advice from when it comes to the airline industry? I don't know. Talk to the analysts out there that follow that kind of stuff. I'm just a guy and, and I'm not by any means spending near enough time studying the market at all. In fact, for the most part, I ignore the noise. Um, I used to subscribe to, the low, to Tim Ferriss's low information diet. I believe that the less you took in about the market, the better, and just kind of focus on your lane and spend the time that you would have spent just reading you know, a bunch of news headlines, just acquiring knowledge and uh, actually just honing your craft and focusing on making money. So that means a lot of not listening to you know, the noise out there. But of course, when you're investing, you need to have you know, some market understanding before you make terrible decisions, right? So uh, anyway, yeah, that's my thought. Yeah, when it rains, it pours. This is true, this is true. For some reason, there just seems to be when you know, one thing goes wrong, it's always like three things in a row. I don't know why that is, but maybe it's a mindset thing. Maybe, you know, talk about that book, The Secret. I know it's a bit wishy-washy and I don't know how much I, you know, 100% subscribe to the philosophy, but I can see some merit in you, like the way you perceive events in your life and the way you react to them having an effect on the future event, right? So it's, it's your attitude sometimes that, that results in you know, a really good outcome or a really bad outcome. Oftentimes it's, it's things like that, that it's how you react to the situation, it's how you perceive the situation, whether it's positive or negative, that results in the outcome. So it's about having a positive mindset. And I think that um, concern is important too, right? You don't wanna go the other way where, I know some people when they get really stressed out, they just turn off their, like they turn their phone off, they just disconnect. And that's the wrong solution in a lot of cases. Um, I think that it's, you know, it's smart to, I like to, for, for myself personally, I like to see a property manager that's stressed out. I like to see an investor that's stressed out. Stress means you care. Uh, if you just turn off, like that's, that's not the way to react to things. You shouldn't just shut, your, shut yourself off to the stress. You should, you know, go balls deep into it. Go, go head on into the stress and, and work through it and push through it. So, uh, okay, next question. Embracing the suck, what I learned in the military and smart, yeah. Hey Mike, your day can only get better from here. True, I have a, a good evening planned. Okay, I'm saving up for my first property with unemployment checks, Corona is a blessing. You know, interestingly enough, I was, I was reading a, uh, an article someone had sent me on Instagram about uh, bankruptcies, and I don't know the validity of this article, but I, I'm just trusting the source, it seemed pretty decent source. But the bankruptcies were way down, um, foreclosures were the lowest they've been, bankruptcies were the lowest they've been in history, like personal bankruptcy. And it was like, wow, like for the, we have the lowest foreclosure and the lowest bankruptcy in one of the, like a, one of the craziest pandemics we've ever had, the highest unemployment. And that's because everyone in their sister is getting a deferral. They're getting uh, the ability to delay. So I think in the fall and in the spring of next year, we're gonna see a ton of bankruptcies, a ton of foreclosures, a ton of stuff that should have happened you know, now that's been delayed. So people who actually would have been bankrupt without COVID are getting free um, delays, I guess, on like their racked up credit card debt. And they're getting delays on that. Like people, I know people who are getting delays in their credit card interest right now. And they fought the delays on their mortgage. They're way behind their mortgage already before COVID, but now they're getting delays. And there's tenants who are way behind on rent. They're getting, you know, delays. And so COVID's been great. For that bottom 10% of society that's just, or like even those people in the bottom quarter that are struggling right now with debt, COVID's actually a good thing. A lot of people you know, were making more on COVID than they were making before, net of tax. 
And so it's crazy that like the bottom half of society, some of them are really benefiting from this uh, COVID epidemic and the stimulus money that's free flowing into the economy. So I'm definitely not benefiting. I've taken a huge loss, but I'm, I'm feeling blessed, right? So I've had so much blessing in my life that um, I can't complain about, you know, having to lose a hundred grand or something like that. It is what it is. And we always knew a recession was coming and all of us had better be prepared and save for the future. Hey, South London, how you doing? Anthony, how you doing? Ryan says, buy some Bitcoin. Uh, no. You guys know how I feel about Bitcoin. I've talked about it a ton. Crypto in general, um, I think it should be a very small percentage of anyone's portfolio. It's more of a speculative investment as opposed to a uh, solid, sound, tangible investment. I think that Bitcoin long-term may have no value. If there's a better technology that comes out, then it's worth nothing. Right? It's only worth if someone is willing to pay you for it. And the idea when you buy Bitcoin and sell it to someone else for more is that you're, you're banking there's going to be a greater fool. There's going to be someone else that'll pay more for it. Uh, it's the same thing as gold. Gold, I think, is a better store of value. It's a physical, tangible thing that has also um, useful purposes in manufacturing, etc. Like an iPhone, so there's a bit of gold and things like that in the manufacturing process. So gold has some inherent benefit but, uh, or tangible use, I suppose. But the actual value of gold is a lot of it's speculative. And that makes me nervous. I don't like to invest in something that I could just, the only out is to sell it to someone else for more. When it produces no cash flow, you can't get a return from it by holding on to it. If I hold on to gold and I never sell it, it produces nothing for me. I'm holding to Bitcoin and I don't ever sell it, it produces nothing for me. I hold on to real estate, I don't ever sell it, it produces cash flow for me. Yeah, that's what I want. So that's the idea, right? Is that you hold assets that not only appreciate and are speculative in nature, but are also carrying a cash flow component. Businesses are the same way. If you buy the right kind of businesses, not tech businesses, not startup businesses that you're just, your only plan is to sell it to someone else for more, but a business that truly generates a product that someone wants to buy that creates cash flow. That's something you can buy and you can cash flow without having to sell it. And I like having multiple exit opportunities. If I can't sell, am I gonna be okay? That's the question I'm asking myself when I, when I buy. And so Bitcoin doesn't, doesn't meet that for me. And so other than like having a small percentage of net worth in it as like a doomsday scenario or just like to have fun and speculate, I don't think it's a, it's a solid investment beyond like that small, small usage or a small percentage of your portfolio for speculating or emergency purposes. First one was great, hard to find though. Thanks, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's, we haven't figured out how to like optimize it or do anything for it. So I'm sure it's gonna be very, very hard to find. And we didn't pay to even host it. We're like doing it for free. So it's um, gonna be hard to find, it's not gonna be anywhere. We didn't do a big release like you're supposed to. We're supposed to pump it and promote it so people will go there and they, they leave a review. By the way, leave a review, that's helpful. Um, that kind of stuff helps get it found, right? Uh, but it is what it is and it's just, right now my only intention with it was it's a medium now where people who really wanna find it are gonna find it and they can listen to it. And it's easier than them having to download the YouTube video and then put it, uh, I guess, on their phone and listen to it when they go for a run. So it's an easier way to get access to this content and we're repurposing the content to help maybe some new audience. Hopefully someone new finds it on there that doesn't go on YouTube. And so that's the one hope is that we reach a greater, greater impact and help people you know, spend less money and and uh, ways to earn more money and then maximize the returns on the difference so they can build wealth, right? That's the, that's the whole goal here. And then live the best life that you can, live a free life, a financially free life. You sacrifice now, sacrifice by definition means to give something up to have something else. That is what sacrifice means. Sacrifice is at the friggin' foundation of fire, at the foundation of financial independence and retiring early is this idea that you need to sacrifice. And too many people you know, in, in my generation specifically, millennials especially, want their cake and they want to eat it. They want the fire, they want a lifestyle, they want this and that, but they don't want to sacrifice to get it. And they don't realize, and I think people get into real estate too and they see how great it is, how much cash flow you can make. And they get into a couple of properties and they're like, geez, Mike, like this is super stressful. There's a lot of issues with tenants and maintenance at the property and I'm fighting with contractors, I'm fighting with tenants, I'm fighting with you know the city about this and I'm fighting about this and that. And there's just a lot of fighting, a lot of energy you have to put into real estate. And I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's not passive. <laughs> the person who ever said real estate was passive lied. Um, if it's passive, you have to have an active partner who's doing all the work for you. Someone's putting in the work. Um, Maybe you can pay someone to put in the work. In most cases, when you pay someone the proper compensation to do all the work involved, there isn't much cash flow left. It's like a 12% or 15% return, which you might as well just do lending at that point, right? Because it's the same return um, and probably less stress 
and probably less risk if you were 70% loan to value um, for, your, for your loans. So yeah, lending is the way to go potentially. More and more, I, I think it's one of the, it is one of the four pillars of my you know, financial independence strategy. And I think that it should be a, a core pillar in, in everyone's strategy, unless they have religious reasons that they can't charge interest, in which case get creative with how you secure your debt and secure the debt and literally go and uh, secure the debt and say, hey, pay me a set amount at the end of six months or share the profit with me in six months. There's lots of ways you can do private lending and be you know, secure and safe and creative with it if there's religious stuff that's causing you not to be able to do lending because there's people who can't lend because of religious reasons. Hey Mike, with Canadian banks giving you a mortgage on US properties, do you need to go through a US bank? Any suggestions from experience? Um, so I, I didn't go through a Canadian bank to buy US property, um, so I can't give any experience on that, but I have talked to a few people who have, and their experience was, uh, it was very difficult to do. So there is two banks, I believe, that, that will lend. It's very um, difficult in the sense that if you have like as many properties as I do, they don't want to take the risk. If it's like your second vacation property, they'll probably lend you 25% down, something like that, and 75% loan to value mortgage. Um, but I would just have a conversation with some people who are doing that, right? Like in the space, find the lender. You probably just do a Google search and find lenders who specialize in lending in that area you want to you go to for foreign investors. And there, there's a broker someone sent me. Oh, geez, I never followed up on it, but they were specializing in Canadians buying real estate in Florida. And I wish I could remember the name of the contact, but they were a broker and they had several lenders they worked with and that was what they specialized in. So I have to go dig that up. I don't even remember who sent that to me on Instagram, but someone sent that to me and said, hey, there's, there's this guy and can't remember now, but I'm sure if you did a Google search, you could find someone who did that specifically and that was their niche. That's the person you want to talk to if that's your intention, right? So happy to help lots. Spotify podcasts are where it's at. Thanks, Trevor. Gail says, uh, hi, Mike, how are you and the family doing? We're doing well, uh, all is well, and uh, looks like it might rain, but the weather's pretty good out there. I'm looking out the window just a second ago here into the trees and the, the canopy of the squirrels and, and things and birds. But uh, yeah, we're, we're good, the family's good, life's good. I overall can't complain. Um, a little stressed out today, but that's the nature of it. Some days, you know, you gotta put in an eight hour day and deal with the stress and uh, you know, you end up finding a, a position where you break through the clouds and there's clarity and, and sunshine and I always know that hard times pass and uh, you just gotta stay the course and push through when you're going through hard times in your life. That's the secret is never give up. Sacrifice always and never give up um, and you'll go really far in life because if you delay now, you get that delayed gratification. You, you're gratified later and you have all that, that reward because you sacrifice now. And so sacrifice today for your future self, but not at the expense of literally enjoying your life. So, you know, to the point of the people who don't even eat out or something, if that, you really like to eat out, find a way to eat out and you know, maybe stretch it over, say, hey, I'm gonna take two more years to retire but I'm gonna ensure that I enjoy that. So, something to think about. Trying to find that uh, next question here. Okay, found it here. Next question is, thanks for making the show into a podcast and decided to listen while driving. Okay, Jordan, awesome, glad to help. South London says that's great, thanks for spreading the word. Hey, no problem, happy to do it. And Future Wiz says, mindset is very important and like button smashed. Perfect. That's what we want to hear. And then uh, props to Liam. Exactly. Pumped for the podcast. A blue button is a happy button. <laughs> Smash that like button. Hi, Mike. How's it going today? Mr. McHale, it's going good. Um, yeah. You know, overall, I, uh, I'm having a stressed day, but I, none of these problems, again, like I could solve all these problems just with, reserves that I've saved up from years of hard work, right? So I can make sure there's no problems. It's just that I'm so frugal that I don't outsource a lot of the problems that I should. I take them on myself or not even that I'm frugal. It's often I'm a perfectionist and I know that like someone else will do 70% as good of a job as me and I want to see 100%. And I, it's really hard, but as an entrepreneur, you have to accept and as you get wealthier and you scale, um, you have to accept that with scale, quality goes down. It's just a fact. Like no one's going to do it as well as you are. No one's going to care as much as you do. Uh, usually typically about your properties. Now there are exceptions like 
electrical work, for instance, electrician's gonna do a better job than me, plumber's gonna do a better job than me. So there are times where outsourcing actually gets a better quality product. But in the management space, I found that there are not a lot of managers that will do a better job than an owner or care as much as an owner, only because the incentives aren't aligned. So that's an important piece. If someone doesn't embrace and handle stress well, then they should just do the traditional 60-40 stock split and never look at it. Every investment has risk and needs to be managed risk to reward. Fair point, Trevor. I think that's a great comment. It just saw pop up there. Um, I, I agree with that almost wholeheartedly. I think that um, the only caveat I would add is that I think people don't realize what they can handle. They think that after the first stressful event, they can't handle it. And I think that a lot of, you know, a lot of people could push through that first barrier and realize, hey, there is a way to cope with this and there is a way that I can continue down this path and that the reward at the end of the day is worth all of the stress to get there, right? So, you know, yeah, it isn't for everyone, but I do think that it's for more people than, than they think if they just change their mindset, right? A lot of people say, a lot of people message me and say, hey, I can't even work more than a seven hour day. And I'm like, geez, you definitely can. Any human being can. If you were to train yourself to be able to work more and, and work harder. And I've had people reach out and say, hey, I need like 10 hours or 12 hours sleep a night and I can't work more than seven hours. It's like, those are limiting beliefs. You can. You're telling yourself you can't, but you can. And I believe that you could. It's just, you know, yeah, people say to me, they send crazy things. Like, hey, Mike, there's no way I can even save 5% of my income. And it's like, I know that's not true because I know another person in your same situation is doing it. So it's, it's possible. You just have to tell yourself you can. You have to have a mindset shift. And so a lot of it is mindset and changing your mindset um, to be more advantageous to building wealth and to helping your future self. Okay, next question, time. Gail says, any advice on starting a home-based business? So Gail, starting a home-based business. Jeez, I don't know. Um, first thing is have good internet. That's that's a key, a key component. <laughs> um, starting a home-based business. You want to set up a big thing is setting up parameters for being productive. And I've found that if you just, you know, if you're at home, there's no one there to motivate you, right? In the same way there is in an office environment when your boss walks by. So you've got to really find ways to keep yourself motivated and accountable to getting work done as someone that works from home or as an entrepreneur. And so I'll do things like set up blocks where I have to do work in that time. And I'll isolate myself from my family and I'll go into a you know, dedicated space and oftentimes I'll um, you know, put my phone away or other times I'll have my phone on me and be like, hey, I'm gonna just respond to all these messages and as soon as I do, that just keeps me in a flow and keeps me working. I'm the kind of guy that once I get into a flow, I just, I can't stop until the task is done to my satisfaction and so for me, it's just getting started. I'm a procrastinator and thankfully, cell phones make it really easy because people will call me with their problems and they'll keep calling me until I answer and so I've set that up that in, in a lot of cases, um, people force me into starting to solve the problem because I wouldn't not necessarily always want to solve it myself. I sometimes need that push. And so that's been something that helped me when I was struggling with procrastination as an entrepreneur. Uh, but starting a home-based business, again, you've got to have that dedicated space where you can get work done and, and have the ability to concentrate and then set up time blocks where you're going to just do that work. And then you have to turn, turn it off too and have time with family and have that balance. You're not going to be as productive if you don't focus on the balance side of it too. And so shut your shut your work off, shut your computer off, close your laptop, you know, put your phone away and have that family time in the evening or whatever. Maybe you want to do it middle of the day. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me. Or you can work from home. You can do whatever you want. You could literally just enjoy the day with your family and spend all night working if that's what you preferred. But um, yeah, that's the beauty of, of working from home. Those are sort of my tips on it. I'm sure there's some better tips, but I didn't really have time to think through anything more than that. So that's all you get off the cuff. Canadian debt downgraded from AAA to AA today. I haven't even watched that, so I have to check that article out and see what's going on there. Anthony, that sounds like um, <laughs> that sounds troubling for for Canada. I'm curious what the currency is doing. Let's just take a quick look here. Okay, how's the currency doing today? Eh, not great. USD to Canadian. One thirty six seventy four. Yeah, it's uh. That's not great, but again, if you're, if all your currency is in Canadian, and I don't know, unless you have the government bonds, it doesn't have a huge, huge effect on, 
on your investment strategy. Like if I'm gonna be in Canada long-term and I'm already invested in the Canadian currency, I don't think it's gonna collapse if the debt gets downgraded a little bit. I'm sure one of the contributing factors in the debt being downgraded was, you know, uh, globally speaking, Canada's not been doing a great job. I'm, I'm not really happy with how Trudeau's been handling things. And then on the domestic side, let's remember that we've been handing out a ton of stimulus money, a ton. It's $2,000 a month to whoever wants it. Business owners are getting $40,000 with uh, $10,000 forgiven right away. If you had like any payroll more than $20,000, even small business owners. And so they're just handing out so much money into the economy right now. And that comes at a cost, right? Like how are you going to balance a budget that's in a huge deficit? Of course the, the debt would be, um, of course the debt would be, be downgraded. That, that just makes sense to me. Um, I feel like, you know, if I was operating my own personal finances, like, like Canada, there'd be a, a real problem, right? Canada doesn't operate, like there's no personal finance at all in the Canadian budget. They're like, literally how much money can we spend? And then how do we find money to, how do we find ways to earn more to pay for it? So they're like, you know, I talk about spend less, earn more, maximize returns. The Canadian government is like, spend more, find ways to earn more to make it back. And who cares about maximizing returns? Um, let's just spend more and earn more. And the way you earn more is you take from the citizens, which is not really sustainable. That is the socialist government. And there are some perks to go along with that, like free healthcare. And you know, we have some great things in our society too. So yeah, can't complain. We're pretty blessed overall. Canada is a great country to live in compared to many other countries in the world. So we're definitely in the top 10 or 20. Next question. Oh, a bunch of positive feedback. Thank you guys, appreciate that. And next one's how many private businesses have you bought so far? So two, um, so not a huge buyer of private businesses. I've started a couple businesses myself too that uh, didn't go that well. They, or I guess they went all right, but my return on time wasn't very good. And so by that metric, I considered it a failure, but a learning one at least. Curious how you establish credit in the US or how someone from the States can do this in Canada. Uh, so that's a good question. I'm not sure how you establish credit in the US. Like, I think you'd need to be a citizen to even have a credit score in the US, I don't know. When I go to the US, there is no credit associated. Like, if I borrowed money from a US bank or something and didn't pay it, I don't think that would affect my credit, Canadian credit score at all, I don't, I don't think. Someone correct me on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no ramifications if you're not a citizen. And like, as a guest, you know, entering the country, I don't think they keep track on credit score of like a vacationer or something like that, or someone just coming down for a few months. I don't think so. So there would be no way to build it if you didn't have one. Next question. Scrolling, scrolling. Do you still recommend always saving up until you have enough for 20% down payment? And who do you recommend for mortgage approvals? Thank you. Um, don't go to your banks. Find like a mortgage broker you can work with. Go to ratespy.com and take a look there. There are better rates there, not always the best people there. Um, but ask for referrals from people. I'm not going to throw any referrals out right now on, on live on the air, but that'd be the way to do it. And then talking about 20% down versus like the 5% down here in Canada. Um, the 5% down, it comes with the, an insurance that's associated. And that insurance costs you 4% of the purchase price of the property. So if you put 5% down, they take 4% a fee. So you lose your entire down payment to fees to companies like Canadian Mortgage um, Housing Corporation, CMHC, or, or Genworth, or and one of the other um, more private mortgage insur or the uh, PMI, private mortgage insurance, I think that's what it's called. But the idea is that they insure if you default, right? Because you're putting less down. So that cost of buying at 5% down is very expensive if you plan to ever sell the property, or if you plan to ever, um, if you plan to sell the property, or if you plan to um, try to refinance the property at any point. And I recommend everyone refinances their property within five years, every five years. And so for that reason, because of those recommendations, um, the 5% down is a, usually a terrible idea. It's cheaper to put 5% down, borrow another 15% from family or a loan shark at 15%, and then refinance them out later. Um, even at 20%, 25% interest rate, and refinance it out later, it's cheaper to do that with 20% down, even if the whole 20% isn't even yours. Um, if it's your parents or your uncle or your you know, cousin Sally or some dude you met, right? It's cheaper than paying CMHC. They make a hefty fee for insuring your mortgage and guaranteeing that if you default, the bank is made whole. 
So I like the 20% down because you save that whole, that whole fee structure. Um, plus, when you go to refinance, you know, your 20%, when you refinance, you're 80% loan to value always. So if you buy a 5% down and then plan to burr it, you're going to be at 80% loan to value anyway. So you lose the benefit of 5% down the minute you refinance. So it just doesn't make, the numbers don't make sense on a refinance strategy. But if, again, if it's the only way you can get into a deal, you have no way to borrow the money, and like this deal's amazing, and you're gonna hold it for a long time or whatever, if the deal's really good, then it can make sense to do the 5% down. I just say, if there's a way you can avoid it, you should. So yeah, that's my uh, feedback on that one. I would try to you know borrow the money from somewhere if you can't save it. Like, when will you smoke weed in a tub live? <laughs> Ilya, um, I don't know. It's just not my, it's like, I know my keeper does his, his Wednesday uh, where he smokes and stuff. It's just not my thing. Um, I don't even know if I want to say this on, on the air, but I've tried it, you know, it's just not my thing. Um, I I just prefer being sober. I, I feel better when I'm sober, to be honest. So it's it's just not my thing. I I prefer to have a clear head and, and I get high off life. Like some positive events in my life can make me feel just as good or, you know, I like, I have guilty pleasures that are not, um, Drugs, it's just not my thing. And not to say that like, weed's really a drug, it's barely a drug, but uh, it does have you know effects on the brain and it's just not for me. I don't enjoy the feeling. Same as I don't really drink. So I don't think it's gonna be coming anytime soon, but would I love to go live from the hot tub at night and do like a live stream? Maybe. It might ruin the enjoyment of this, of it for me. Like just the same if I was to get high, I probably wouldn't wanna be live when I did it. Um, it would ruin the fun of it for me. It's the same reason I don't think I want to be live when I'm gaming or the same reason I want to be live, you know, when I'm doing other things that I enjoy because this is a different experience than, you know, relaxing in a tub with my eyes closed, right? So, yeah. Good question. I like that one, actually. That was a great question. Very thoughtful. When you unloaded some of your real estate portfolio in 2017, did you use real estate, realtors to sell houses or real estate agents? Do you... That question doesn't make sense. Do you realtors provide much value? I guess you're asking, do realtors provide value? Um, and then you asked, zero is better to sell yourself. I think you meant, or is it better to sell yourself? So to get through all that question, um, did I use realtors? For some of them, yes. I sold quite a few of them privately, but I did sell some of them with a realtor. And in 2017, I wasn't a realtor myself. I am now a realtor. Um, so that was, that's a factor in my, I guess, why I did what I did. But even now, I, I often outsource to other agents. My own properties are for sale right now with other agents. I, I'm not even on the list of them. Because doing all the listing paperwork and then fielding all the calls that you get and then dealing with all that drama, I don't want a part of that. Like for one or 2% of the purchase price, just not worth it for me. Like on a $300,000 property to make three or six grand to deal with all those headaches, not for me. Um, my time's too valuable to be doing that, to be honest. Um, so... I believe that if you value your time at more than $100 an hour, you would never list a property yourself. Or there's very few circumstances where it would make sense to do it. Now, if you had a really good network, maybe it makes sense. Um, the other thing is, sometimes an agent can bring you a lot more value in, just forget all the stuff they're doing for you and helping you get the property ready, but literally in just, in the marketing, forget that, but literally they can just bring you better purchase price than you could get yourself and on the public market often, especially if the reputation is pretty good with other agents, they could potentially get you a multiple offer situation where the property is fetching you way more than their, their commission, in which case they're well worth it. And so I'd recommend, yeah, I'd recommend using an agent. Pretty much like flat out, I'd recommend that. Uh, okay, Future Wiz, uh, and then I guess the last part of the question was, um, do they provide value? And so I guess that was sort of answered inherently, in whether you should use a realtor, I would say yes, they provide value. Not all agents provide value. Some don't provide any value, but there are a lot of agents that do add a lot of value to the property and the right agent will get you more than the commission in extra value. So if the property would sell yourself, you sell it for 300, they'll probably sell it for like 315. And so you get an extra 15 grand. Yeah, you have paid them 10 grand in commission or whatever, but and maybe you could negotiate the commission a little bit and I, there's nothing wrong with doing that as an example, but there's definitely value there. And I think that uh, if you don't have to, 
if you end up with more money in your pocket than out of commissions and you didn't have to do any work to sell the house, because by the way, it's a lot of work to sell a house. It's a lot of work to write descriptions, take photos, you know, market it properly, do all the showings, write the offer, uh, and then you know, get all that signed and, and help them with the appraisal and help them with the inspections and you know, the financing and all the crap that goes along with getting it to close and negotiating with the lawyer and all that stuff. There's a lot of value on that alone. Even if I got you know, net $5,000 less with an agent, which I think you probably would get more in this type of market, but even if I got less, I would still say it's worth it because you don't have to go through all that, that hassle and headache. And so when I sold in 2017, um, my focus was taking capital that was stuck in properties, not generating a great return because I couldn't refinance the money out at that time. I just quit my job, right? And so it made sense for me after I didn't have a way to refinance the money out. Um, it made sense to, and I didn't know there was other ways to refinance without a job back then. And I didn't have any entrepreneur income back then. So I just, I just retired, right? And so I thought, geez, I'm stuck with all this equity in these properties. And a lot of them are like 50% loan to value because they appreciated so much. And at market value, I'm looking at the cash flow and I'm like, it's just not there. Like let's let some other investor get like $100 a door. I'm okay to just take my money and all that money, I just reinvest in something else and make way more than the cash flow I was making from those properties. And I did that and I made a lot of money as a result. So no regrets at all on that. Um, best decision I made probably in my investing journey was to cash out then and, and, and redeploy smartly. Uh, Future Wiz says, very good points. You have to wait for the battle to be over and then ally with the winning side. True, fair points about the airline industry. Devendra says, hey Mike, do you think it's smart or stupid to get a big loan to use as a down payment or just wait and save up for it? Devendra, I think it depends. If the deal is very strong and it has strong cash flow that it could sustain the interest on the down payment debt as well, I think, and have tons of positive cash flow left over for you, I think that's a very smart situation you could be in. That's a great idea where you can use leverage to you know, grow. But I think if you're buying a house for yourself, I don't know. Now you're paying yeah, the extra cost of the interest on the mortgage and the interest on the down payment portion. And let's not forget that the banks aren't going to like that. There are banks who will do it, but or lenders who will do it. But you might have to get very creative with how you craft the situation and probably cost you a bit of money. So if the deal's strong and it's a really, really good deal, I would say go for it. If it's not a great deal or it's just like your first deal and your, your first deal is probably not a great deal in almost all cases, uh, I would say maybe wait and keep saving until the time is right. That's it depends. There's so many, it's so situational, but great question. All right. We're going to go lightning round and do some questions fast. So if someone doesn't embrace and handle stress. Well, we did that question. Next one, hit the like button. Yes. Agree to that comment. Thank you for putting that comment up. Another comment. Hey Mike, new to your channel. Erwin, welcome to my channel. Thank you for watching. Watt says, have you been burning big multifamily buildings like McKeever is doing now and thoughts on this strategy? So, Burring multifamily takes a long time. Let's be clear here that a burr on a multifamily can take one, two, three years because getting through the tenants and you know changing the whole building, it's a big building, it's a big project. It take a lot of time. Have I done it on big buildings? I did it on a seven flex. We're, we're doing it right now. The burr is almost complete. Um, no, I haven't done a ton of them. I've done it mostly on smaller stuff. So like a million and less typically. Or 1.1 million and under primarily. But you can do it with big buildings, and it's a lot of, it's a lot more work. It's a lot bigger project. But let's remember, if the percentages are the same, then you have a way, way bigger net profit number, right? If you burr a two million dollar building, there's way more upside than building burring a little house, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a great way to do it if you can burr some large multifamily. Definitely, you know, do it. I'm thinking that you know eventually I'm going to move into the private lending space primarily and the large multifamily space just because the small deals aren't worth my time. Like it's not even worth it to take down a $200,000 property for all the struggle to make, you know, 20% on 200 grand is not a lot of money. It's like 40 grand. So that's the kind of margin you're working with. And if something goes wrong, it could be even less. So it's just, you need to have big margins for it to be worth your time. And so I think, yeah, eventually every investor evolves to doing the big deals just because there's more raw profit there. But good question. Is stress coming from COVID hitting the real estate market? Yeah, I mean, it's just everything. To be honest, I've subscribed to way more work than, you know, I, it's way more work than I thought it was going to be to take all these projects on and stabilize all these properties that we took on. And I'm looking forward to closing off a lot of, a lot of the properties that I bought that are headaches. So there are properties I own that are headache type properties. They have headache tenants that we can't get out and I just want to be done with them. 
And so I'm excited to turn that chapter of my life and not be involved in any of those kind of projects because before I thought it was just about ROI, but who cares if you get a 40% return on an investment if you're getting a terrible return on your time and you're getting a ton of stress, right? Dealing with these like terrible tenants or whatever, terrible properties. So it's just it's one of those things where ROI isn't the most important factor all the time. Sometimes it's about return on your time and a lower return, but no stress is preferred in many cases. Uh, what do you think about becoming a real estate developer? Alex, I did a video on that. I tried my hand at real estate development. We severed a parcel of land into a small subdivision of four quarter acre lots and been through that. So I was a developer technically for that. And I hated it. I would never be a developer. It is a huge cash burn business. It doesn't generate a lot of cash flow. It's extremely speculative and it's beyond just being speculative. It, it also has a number of layers of risk that are hard to manage for unless you're extremely deep pocketed and well connected. So I would say, it's not the business that I like to be in. I like cash flow businesses, to be honest. But, you know, I've ended up with, I have owned a lot of properties that ended up not cash flowing very well because of bad tenants and things like that. And so I've been thankful that appreciation and just like forced value add through renovations have saved my butt on a lot of deals that I've done. I made a lot of money. And so some people could argue that I'm an appreciation investor, but I don't know, I've ended up as an appreciation investor in some cases. And there's nothing wrong with that but you need to be focused on cash flow first and debt servicing first because recessions like COVID happen and uh, you know, you get in a situation where things weren't as rosy as they were before and only cash flow can keep people afloat. You can't live on appreciation. Like how many, yes, I answered that question, answer that question, answer that question. I already answered that question. Okay, I found my place again here, guys. Thank you, Gail, for the positive comment, appreciating that you know, my time is valued. And thank you for watching. All of your time has value too, and it means a lot that you donate your time to watching and consuming the content. It means something. Much of the US has extended eviction moratoriums. At what point is it too far? A lot of mom and pop real estate investors are taking a hit on the chin. Having no burden of proof of financial hardship is crazy. Trevor, it's all great points. Um, the question there was, at what point is it too far? I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe it's the cold, like capitalist in me, but I, I feel like we should let people go bankrupt. We should let, you know, cards fall where they will. If you go bankrupt, it's because you made bad decisions. It's because you didn't save for the future and we should be punished for our bad decisions, myself included. Um, maybe that's a bit harsh for me to say, but I don't know. Maybe September, if I'm just throwing out a number, I, I don't know. Uh, but obviously when the economy starts to recover, that's when this has to end. And so when we see all the economic data coming back, that people are employed again and that, you know, the market is, is doing well, not just because of stimulus, but because of, you know, actual GDP production, um, in increasing, that's when I think it would be time to end the moratoriums and, and just allow people to, to be evicted and, and allow, you know, the bankruptcies to play out. Hopefully people are taking this time right now to work hard and build skills and, and to save money. But I think most people just don't think about their future and aren't invested in you know, doing whatever it takes to grow and succeed in these times. People are generally lazy, unfortunately. And uh, you've got to you know, drag the horse to water in many cases. Most people won't dig, dig their own well. It's just the nature of it. And for those people who do, you know, we, we're rewarded well for working hard. I gotta go faster here. I'm taking way too long on these questions. Uh, Bill says, do you think there's a civil war coming to the States? I feel like it's coming, I hope not. I hope not, that would be terrible. That would be awful. Um, I don't know, I don't, I don't think so. Martin says, I'm pretty sure you can build credit in the US as a Canadian, you just need a US credit card. The Canadian credit doesn't transfer over to the USA. There you go, Martin, I had no idea. Maybe you can. Does your rental property income from US properties count towards US income? Then you'd be able to use that income towards your next US mortgage and does... So the way I would structure it is in an ideal situation, I would have a Canadian corp own a US corp that then owns the property. And so there'd be dividend flow so that it would never touch my person. Uh, I would never personally have to file a return in the US. That's just like my preference. But uh, I guess you could do it any way you wanted. Hi Mike, is there or are there ways to reduce or avoid capital gain tax when you sell an investment property? And is it better to buy investment property under a corporation? Thanks. 
it depends on this on the tax situation so there's no right way to do it there are right ways for your situation and so i would say is there a way to avoid capital gains tax yes live in the property designated as your primary residence and live there more than 12 months in canada every 12 months if you designate or 13 months it becomes your primary residence and it's completely tax-free if you live in the house so if you bought a house you lived in it after a year and a half you know two years you wanted to sell it that would be a tax-free gain so that's how you avoid capital gains tax um now you can't avoid capital gains tax if you actually have to pay capital gains tax as in i.e it wasn't your capital it wasn't your primary residence and so it was an investment and so if you owned a property for five years and you sold it and it was a rental property and it made 100 grand you'd pay capital gains tax on that 100 grand now you might have deductions like you might have realtor costs or closing costs or you know renovations that you've made to the property that were capital in nature or improved the value in some way those would be deductible against that capital gain and so you'd be able to reduce your capital gain and let's remember capital gains tax is a favorable tax it is only half inclusion rate what that means is if you make a hundred thousand dollar capital gain after five years of owning a rental property and you sell it then half of it fifty thousand dollars of that capital gain or half of the hundred is taxable at your marginal tax rate so you get fifty thousand dollars of that capital gain tax-free and then you get fifty thousand of it you have to pay tax on that's misunderstood i think by a lot of people capital gains are a preferred way to be taxed it's better than rental income as an example in Canada it's taxed more favorably and so for that reason from a tax perspective speculative investors are rewarded um, more so than cash flow investors but cash flow investors after a long period of holding they get the capital gains tax um, as well so just hold your property for a while and invest for cash flow do you think deals are harder to find today than when you started off I can't find any properties that are selling for 200k you try to find private deals there are deals that exist i see them pop up on mls for like 170 180k they're often dies they often need a lot of work um there's often an issue at the property or something going wrong with it but yeah i mean uh, properties are more expensive than they were before but rents are also higher than they were before and so i think the ratio between price to rent is getting worse but still not that far out of whack from what it was even a year or two ago so pretty much in line with last year i think there's no difference between last year and this year so 2019 versus 2020 price to rent ratio the same pretty much in London so. uh, our deals hard to find not necessarily thanks appreciate the comments thank you for that comment key uh, Kant says what do you think about the auto real estate market I have no comment I've made comments before about the market I'm not an expert in the market so I won't try to comment on it but I you know it's slightly worse cash flow but there are some market fundamentals in Ottawa that make it uh, a great place to invest I think I honestly would invest if I lived in Ottawa I'd, I'd invest in Ottawa I don't so I I won't but um yeah Yuri how you doing Mike what are your thoughts on house hacking Erwin I've done tons of videos on house hacking and I've talked about it probably once every four live streams probably once every two live streams I've touched on house hacking almost every live stream I've at least hinted that house hacking is the best thing you can possibly do but it's amazing it's the idea that you can live for free or live for a reduced cost by having an extra unit that you rent out or having you know some other way to generate income totally a big fan of that are any of your tenants not paying rent during COVID yes uh, it sucks but a very small portion so I'm super thankful Airbnb on the other hand I'm getting crushed I'm getting destroyed on my Airbnbs right now and that hurts but it is what it is Mike, are you seeing decent profit margins still? When I look at Detroit now, I wonder if the project, if my next project is worth it. I'm worried a bit about a bubble. Thank you for your thoughts. Have a good evening. Um, I would be more conservative in my evaluations now than I was before. And so it's important that we make sure that we look for extra margin during this time. Oh, my poor daughter out there crying. Oh, it's my youngest. She's just a baby. I'll have to give her a hug when the stream's over in a few minutes here. Uh, so William I guess to answer your question I don't know the Detroit market very well but it feels like we're going to a bit of a recession economically speaking if you look at the GDP data when the stimulus money runs out there's going to be some issues for for a lot of us so um, now is a good time to sell I think now is a good time to if you're gonna buy make sure you're buying at a good discount are you concerned about the Western use semester being online in the fall yes I did a video I think last week rent prices are falling watch that live stream it's an hour and 10 minutes of solid gold touching on that specifically when can I travel to can America again um, 
I know can America was a country, <laughs> but Canada or America, uh, I don't know. I don't know when the borders are going to open up. I hear July is the target between the U.S. and Canada. That's one I've been following most um, closely. But I don't know when the governments are going to decide to open up. And that's, I don't know. I'll have to watch the curves and watch the data and wait for our government to decide to open it up. Yeah, Erwin, I, uh, yeah, I have two kids. Thank you. I appreciate that. A lot of people say that I look like 19 or 20, and, and that goes to my advantage because I'll be 28 this November. Next question. If you rent a property for five years, let's say, and then move in for 12 or 13 months, and shortly after sale, do you still have to pay capital gains tax? So, Raz, my understanding is uh, for the time it was a rental property, you'd have to have a value before you moved into it. And so the appreciation from when, or I guess the increase in value from when you bought it to when you moved into it, that would be capital gains tax, and you have to pay capital gains tax, and then you move into it, and any amount of appreciation after that point, you would be tax-free. Uh, the tough part lies in deciding how much value was, if let's say you lived in it for two years and you sold it, and then you rent, did a rental for three years, if you didn't have it appraised after the day you moved out, it's really hard to determine the value of, um, it's really hard to determine the value of the, of how much is attributed to the capital gain, and how much is capital gain exempt because you lived in it. And so that's tricky. It's why I recommend if you're gonna move into a property, when you move out, get it appraised. Even just have a realtor do a market assessment. That's something, you've at least quantified it. That's what I've always done when I moved out of my properties that became rentals. Next question. Do you think any realtor's license helped you with investing or is a regular full-time job good enough to invest? Key, I think you don't need to have uh, a realtor's license to invest in real estate. I didn't get one until I was a really, really sophisticated real estate investor. And I only got it to save, to, the reason I got it was one access to data more freely and available. Uh, it was more freely and available as an agent and, and comps and things like that. And two, it gave me credibility in the market. And three, I could book my own showings. I was so tired of texting agents and having them let me in. I just, I wanna be able to go see properties when I wanna go see them. It's one of my hobbies. And so even when I don't invest in real estate anymore, which I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I could see myself paying the dues, like the 5,000 a year or whatever to keep my license alive, uh, just to be able to go look at properties because that's something that I enjoy. And so not with clients, but like just with my buddies, like us just going out and enjoying looking at properties. So I'm a registered with a brokerage, yes. Um, we have our own brokerage, Investor's Choice Realty. My partner, AJ, and I. He, uh, he's a broker of record on that. I'm not a broker of record. I'm just an agent at the brokerage. Juan says, thanks for all you do. New fire person and saving for my next investment property next year learning until then that's awesome juan thank you for your comment covid resurgence in texas arizona and florida is bad they may push back the border opening i certainly hope not but it is possible do you think that house prices will drop this winter um you know it's very likely it's very likely. Seasonally, it always does drop in December. Like even in a good year, the peak of the spring to the worst of like December 31st is like around the worst time to buy a house. Uh, there's a, or sorry, the best time to buy a house, the worst time to sell. Uh, there's about a 10% dip. So if the market stays flat, there'll be a 10% drop. But if the market gets, you know, cooled off because stimulus ends and there's some foreclosures and extra, you know, basically if there's more supply than demand, which we aren't seeing right now, but if that happens, then yeah, it'd be worse than 10% bath on the prices. Time to be up, Mike. Very true. <laughs> time to end it and go spend time with family. We've been over the hour mark now, so thank you all so much for watching. Oh, one more question. Can you expand by how having a real estate license allows you to see properties? Can't you go and see properties that are real estate license? Am I missing something? Raz, you cannot enter a listed property without an agent present. Uh, so you have to have an agent present to go see a property that's listed on realtor.ca or on the MLS, basically. Uh, so access to all those listed properties, you have to have an agent with you to go see the property. That's annoying. Uh, it isn't a big deal when you're getting started in the investing journey. You probably want that person there to help you. But at my stage in the journey, the real estate agent isn't adding any value. In fact, it's annoying that they're there. And so I got to a point where I just, it's worth the money to me to be able to have access to properties. Like if, if a property's vacant, I can use my app, Showing Time, and I can book a showing Oftentimes I'll get accepted right away. I'm driving by a house, I see the for sale sign. I back up, I put it in my, my app and I get access to the lockbox and I walk in. 
normally I would have had to call an agent. He would have booked a showing for tomorrow when he's available with the drive back there and see it. Just a pain in my butt. There's been times where I've just been able to get into a property quick because I'm the agent. Um, oh, I just want to see the property for myself, you know, or for my client. If the client's not with me, it's just me. They'll let me go see the property. And so that's been a huge advantage. Um, having that license has been a, an advantage. But again, I built my first million and beyond without a license. And so you can be a real estate investor and make a lot of money and do very well without having a real estate license. And it's definitely not necessary. And if you're going to do less than five to eight deals a year, I think it's not worth having a license. For me, it's something that's like a, a privilege that I just enjoy. So thank you all so much for watching. And as always, the secret to building wealth and to becoming wealthier yourself, there are three levers you need to be pulling on. First, you need to spend less, pull that lever down, spend as little as you can while still enjoying your life and it'll be a good quality life. So find ways to hack those expenses down. Earn more, crank that lever up. So the difference between what you're, what you're earning, what you're spending, the divide is bigger. That's saving, right? So you can save the difference and then maximize the returns all the way up on the difference between what you're spending and what you're earning and that's your savings. You wanna maximize the return on that investment so it can grow. You wanna manage the risk and maximize the return. So thank you all so much for watching. I've been saying this for two years now, spend less, earn more, and maximize those returns. That's what my channel is all about. And thank you so much for watching. And if this has become a podcast, thank you for listening to the podcast and please leave a review. It'd mean a lot on both the YouTube channel and the podcast and smash that like button. Thank you all so much for watching. And uh, if you're watching this right now and you don't follow me on Instagram, go download Instagram because it's the best thing ever and type in at Mike Rosehart and follow me. And I do stories six to eight times a day. So you can follow along with my journey and see what I'm up to. So thank you all so much for watching and I will see you next Wednesday. Bye everyone.